Welcome to the Bug Hunters Cafe. Thank you. Uh, hello, Jason. Hey there, Boyan. I'm really excited for today. Yeah? How come? Well, I invited my friend, uh, Laís Calvallo, a developer advocate, board member of Pyjamas, co-founder of Bit Me Pie, Pythonista. Oh yeah, Laís is awesome. But I thought it was my turn. Amber Vanderbrook is joining us, uh, and she's a keynote speaker and a founder of Pathway Groups, and passionate about improving human element of team performance. That's great, but uh, we double booked? It looks that way. Oh dear. I mean, on the upside, they're both a lot of fun. Wait, isn't the cafe entirely enthusiasm-powered? Yes. And Lays and Amber are two of the most enthusiastic people we know. Crikey, we're gonna blow a fuse. Uh, hey Marta, you might want to put some somber music in the maintenance room. On it. Welcome to the Bug Hunters Cafe. I'll be right with you both. Hey, Amber, Lais, come on in. We're over here. Hello there. Hey guys. How are you? How are you doing? <laughs> we're doing great. Welcome to our table. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, well, would you like me to get you anything? The coffee's on Soft Terrific. They're the ones who sponsor these chats. You know, can I have a chai mocha latte grande? Okay. I'm going to go for a flat white. Um, almond milk flat white. Ooh, that sounds really good, too. <laughs> mm. But I heard Actually, you... I'll have what she's having. I heard you don't take coffee, though. Mm, today might be a day for caffeine. We need more enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> Today might be the day then. All right. <laughs> I, I will go get those. And, and you want your uh, usual um, espresso without any coffee there? Um, yes. Yeah. It takes the rainbows. So, Lace, have you met Amber? I have met Amber, yes. We have met in pajamas, wasn't it? We did. We did. We pulled out our fanciest pajamas. It was amazing. Yes, to come and talk about Python. And I think that was December last year. Yes, that was December last year. Yeah, it was a minute ago. Here's your... But, uh, but the pajamas were great. Here, <laughs> here's your guys' uh, coffee. Thank you. Uh, oh, thank you so much. Here's yours, Boyan. Thank you. I overheard pajamas. That was a lot of fun. I uh, I did wear my pajamas to it, and yet I still managed to get a bow tie yet. That is skill. <laughs> Well, I have actually really good news for pajamas people, uh, because I am sending an envelope of swag around. The swags are going to start on Monday. Yes. Nice. I was just thinking this morning when, when I was supposed to get that. It's going to be the first run. There was, I, I, there, was some, there were some rumblings about branded socks, and I was waiting for those. But I, I don't know whatever happened with that. Is that the swag that I'll speak of? I don't know. I don't know. I a good swagger do not say what do not re, does not reveal what the swag is. Yes, That's but it. if if the form involves the option to say what is your shoe size, it might maybe be we're shoes. getting and shoes. Yes, you see, <laughs> might be cloud shoes. Yeah. <laughs> you never could, know. Could be slippers. Could be slippers. My feet are really wanting some style right now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And style they should get. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, as a general rule, I never match my socks anyway, if I can help it. But if what if one of the mismatched socks was a pajama sock? Dun, dun, dun. I mean, that would be amazing. That would be absolutely <laughs> amazing. I'd be having to roll up my pant leg, you know, show everyone, hey. <laughs> Just one socks. pant leg yes. for your one mismatched sock. <laughs> absolutely. Usually, uh, when we have people in this cafe, we talk about their deepest, darkest secrets. So, uh, we do. <laughs> so, Lace and Amber, tell us about how you solve the problems in the teams. So, yeah, I'll go. I'll go first. Uh, uh, solving all problems within all teams. Yes. What a what a big question! <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's it. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> He's got one question I mean, on his list. It's like, well, how do you solve problems in teams? Let's just get right to it. <laughs> well, first we uh, have to define a scope uh, <laughs> of the question. Um, <laughs> um, golly, I wish that there was there was just one answer that I could give. Um, 
<laughs> but you know, as as we're working within teams, you know, there's a, a a huge aspect of having to collaborate more more effectively and having that communication. I honestly, I think if I could give one answer of the biggest challenges that I face within teams, it is that. Um, lack of or miscommunication within teams. And so making sure that we've clarified, um, clarified and re-clarified and re-clarified and re-clarified and re -clarified, um, the communication that, that we're having within within our teams. I'm seeing some head nods. Uh, is, that, is that your experience as well? <laughs> we'll give a broad answer to a broad question. <laughs> And, 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 while, and, while, and while clarifying communication, be sure to define scope. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Touche there. Yes. Um, I would say for me as well, that, that would be, I think you, you're spot on, Amber. I think communication is definitely the first problem with like arranging teams in any way. Um, I think dealing with humans, no? Communication is always the biggest challenge. What do you think, um, Jason? Because you're you're CEO of a company, so tell me, how do you deal with that? All right. Well, actually, yeah, Boyan and I are actually both both CEOs of of of, of companies. But yeah, I mean, dealing with interns, communication is definitely a it's definitely a key thing. I mean, the thing is with programming, the hard part isn't the code. The hard part's the people. That's always the hard part. And I, um, I remember someone once saying that that bugs usually come from some form of miscommunication misunderstanding when we don't fully understand the problem when we're asking the wrong question or when our ideas about how to solve something don't match up that's where you wind up with errors in computer software usually the problem's not in the not in the the, the code so much as it's in the the logic at least those are the harder ones to debug because you know, a missing semicolon is, is pretty easy, relatively speaking, you know, but flaw in the spec, um, that brings up all sorts of, of weird problems or flaw in the understanding of the spec, you know, so like communication is, is kind of at the heart of, of why software goes haywire, I think. Yeah. And there's a huge aspect of, um, yeah, and I, I think you hit it right on the head of making sure we're, we're asking the right questions and we are communicating those expectations. There's, you know, something very real about how uncommunicated uh, expectations oftentimes lead to unmet expectations uh, within within our performance. And I, I recall one leader that I was working with, he very clearly stated, he goes, you know, there's, there's really four major questions that I ask whenever I am crafting my message and communication and determining if I've done a good job of communicating within my team and and it's really asking myself okay have i communicated to the right audience are there the right people in the room and, and sometimes there's people that should be brought in and sometimes it's a lot of voices and we need to trim down and make sure we have the right people so are there the right people in the room the right audience uh is this the right message am i crafting it in a way that is easily understood being very mindful of of jargon, of baseline knowledge, of the actual words that are being said, looking at the way I'm communicating, um, which I, I believe in this period of time, uh, especially, it's a conversation that we really have to be mindful of, of, um, of the way that we're communicating in that, are we using a, an email? Are we doing a phone call? Are we doing a video chat? Are we sending a text message? Um, in all of these different ways, we're looking at different uh, honestly, the speed of our feedback loops. So if you have a really complicated topic or a really emotional topic or uh, something that is going to require more follow-up, then sending a basic memo that might have a longer span of time, uh, it might not be as effective um, within your messaging. And so being mindful of how am I communicating? What's the way? What's the method? And then also being mindful of the time. Um, so looking at your, your audience, your, your way, uh, the message and the time. And uh, within timing, whenever I first was um, speaking about that with, with my colleague, I always uh, assumed, okay, uh, probably don't want to bring in a, a huge message on Friday afternoon as people are walking out the door, right? So I, I'm mindful of actual physical time. But as I've talked about this more and as I've thought about it more, even within our team, 
there is also this level of time that I'm allowing for questions and allowing for clarification. Um, so if I have a very big message and I only allot a couple of minutes within a meeting, then there's a likelihood that there's going to be some disconnect. There might be more time that I should have allocated for, for questions um, and more time for uh, expanded conversation uh, as well. So being really mindful of that time aspect also has been something that for me personally, I'm constantly uh, having to adjust and be mindful of as well of, okay, um, within our team, the challenges that we face and the unmet performance expectations that we have, especially when it comes to communication, uh, often comes from uh, either me not having the right people in the room, not using the right messaging, uh, having a disconnect in the way that I'm communicating or not allowing enough time for that conversation. And it, those are the four major questions that I ask myself as I'm working with teams um, and working even within our team in the Pathways group of, okay, have I, um, have I been intentional in these four major areas of communication moving forward? Um, so that's, that's kind of what I've seen within, within our team and something that I'm constantly working on within those questions. You know, what you mentioned reminds me of a book called The Checklist Manifesto by um, Atul Gawand. He's a surgeon. Mm -hmm. And he mentions that one of the key things is, he was talking about implementing checklists in surgeries to help reduce errors uh, in surgery. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things he mentioned is, is that it was key that everybody in that operating room had a voice, that they had the authority, it didn't matter whether they were just a technician or whether they were a resident or whether they were a nurse or whether they were the, the anesthesiologist or the main surgeon. Oftentimes the main surgeon tended to rule the show and I think the same happens with coding, is like the, the lead developer easily dominates the floor and it's so important that everybody has a voice so that, you know, that that nurse in training who notices that uh, something's wrong has a voice to stop everything and go, hold on, there's something wrong here. And um, that, 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 was, that was critical. And one of the best ways that they could do that would be initially letting everyone introduce themselves. I wrote it down. I always uh, write down the smart stuff. <laughs> Collect, he collects book titles. I have a question for Amber. Mm. <laughs> Um, how do you deal with engagement? Because like uh, one of the challenge, the biggest challenges that I've been seeing um, leaders dealing with right now is the lack of engagement from people because everyone is remote and we don't actually feel like there is a connection and establishing connection is much harder. So how do you deal with um, driving engagement from teams? I think that Jason actually touched on it just a minute ago in actually asking people for their input um, and and letting people introduce themselves and giving that opportunity for a voice um, is really powerful in driving that in driving some engagement. So it's saying, okay, we want your voice. So first off, we're we're asking specifically um, and we're communicating. We we want your input. Um, we're creating a platform for people to speak, whether that be at a meeting, whether that be um, within within a uh, within your standup, within an uh, within a uh, uh, like a, an email platform uh, as well. So we're creating a platform that people can speak, and then also this is the most important is we're also showing action. Um, so within our team. Um, we are actually creating, we're doing some curriculum development right now. And there was a person on our team that is more of an intern that went through the, um, that, that curriculum development and had some really amazing insights that this has actually just happened this week, had some really amazing insights. And so we actually brought in everyone that was working on this project into a meeting and we went around and offered, uh, and we asked people for their insight and their um, their thoughts on how we could improve uh, the curriculum and the intern had some incredible insights. So we actually asked for, asked for those insights and then we are actively putting those insights into action. And so the words aren't just going out into the void. Um, but, uh, we, but there's actually action being taken off, uh, from that. And within, 
our team and within a lot of teams that we work in, um, oftentimes that lack of engagement comes from a lack of uh, ownership or a lack of care um, and feeling like maybe my my insight is not wanted or it's not going to make an impact. And so by asking the question and then being open to taking action based off of that insight, um, people feel that sense of ownership <laughs> moving forward and saying, ah, like my, my opinion and my thoughts and my ideas, they are wanted, they have value and they can make an impact. And in the same way, the example of um, working with a surgeon and nurses and your interns, so that, that insight is wanted uh, and it can make an impact. The same regard within our team. Uh, it's really being intentional and asking the questions. And, and I've been in some leadership positions before where we haven't been in a position in that moment to make that change. And so we'll communicate and say, hey, we want to hear your voice, but we also want to communicate a timeline and say, this might be a, a, a few weeks before <laughs> before action is taken. It's not that it wasn't heard. It's that you know we, we hear your voice and we want to um, make take action off of that. Um, you're not just speaking out into the void. Uh, your opinion is wanted. It's not, we don't just want you here uh, completing a task and that's it. So that's my experience. Um, I'm really interested to hear if, if anyone else has other uh, ways that they've increased engagement within their teams as well. Well, I have to mention that I think one important thing, and this is coming up more and more in the tech world, uh, much to the rejoicing of some and to the chagrin of others, um, is that there's all this conversation about what, how do we improve sensitivity, cultural sensitivity, et cetera, in the workplace. Uh, and some people just try to label that political correctness, but I think it's important that we strive for that sensitivity because we need to make it a safe place for everybody. MailChimp is a great example in the current events of a company that did not do that. And they made a very white male dominated environment that a lot of people just didn't feel safe in. And the people who tried to buck the system, who tried to speak up, but weren't part of the, you know, the, the, the favored group, um, wound up facing reprisal for saying anything or for speaking up, for having different ideas. Or they might implement the idea, but then they'd shove the person aside and take credit for the idea. And I think it's important that if you want any member of a team to engage, that they feel that I, my identity is not going to make me a moving target, you know, and, and, and that that's as simple as, you know, use someone's preferred pronouns. Don't make jokes that make that person that, you know, that person's culture, the butt of the joke. Um, don't, uh, you know, don't denigrate someone or, or, or objectify someone because they're a woman or because they're from a particular country or because of any of these things. Everybody should have a voice in the conversation by sheer merit of being a human being on the team. And really, in my mind, the only thing that invalidates someone from that level of participation is if they have proven themselves time and again to be a toxic influence when they regularly do not respect others that's really the only time when you take the microphone away from them and you say you know I, I i understand you have technical skill but you make other people feel unsafe and since you don't want to address this then we need to make this a safe environment by minimizing your voice a little bit and that that I know there are a lot of people that are really angry when that happens because they feel like it's it's censorship or it's unfair, but it's a matter of making the environment safe for everyone. Um, because when you have intolerance, somebody's going to be silenced. There's no getting around that fact. We need to make sure that the only person who's being silenced is the person who's making the environment unsafe, not the person who's being targeted. And if... I think this is a, I do have to mention, too, if someone actually realizes, oh, I've been handling this badly this whole time, I need to do something about it, takes practical steps to dealing with it. Look at Linus Travolts, where he took a step back from the, the, the Linux Foundation and said, you know what, I need to work on how I deal with people. 
and he did work on dealing with people and you know he could still be a bit rough around the edges but he did actively he is actively trying to be better at communicating with people with respect and so he's someone who you know you can give the microphone back to in stages whereas someone like you know again current events rms richard m stallman who you know has expressed absolutely no remorse at all for some of the horrendous things he said he doesn't need a microphone we can't trust him with it because it breeds the unsafe environment that then silences people uh because they just don't feel safe of course that's just my half of the half of the take ladies you you actually do a lot more work in this arena than i do um the arena of trying to making people feel safe um I do a lot of work with minority um, because, well, because I am minority and initially what I wanted to do, so my goal initially was to make sure that getting into, it was to reduce the barrier of entry for Python. So basically what I wanted to happen in my utopic world, the one that only exists in my head, um, I wanted all beginners to be able to come in and say, um, well, I would love to learn Python for, I don't know, web development, let's say. And we would show them how, like, all the ways that they could. We would ask them the right questions on how do you learn, what's your style, what would help you. And then we would help them, kind of like, make, kind of like an actual mentorship. So we'd take them by the hand and show them not only how to learn um, with the... With the resources that we have, but also show them that it's safe to ask questions, um, that it's, we incentive them to, to be part of the actual community, because that's what happened to me. Um, I, tried, like, I tried Python initially, and then there was not really... At that time, I wasn't really looking for a community because I was looking for... I was more into the maths part of programming, not necessarily into the programming part of programming. Um, then I went into Java, and when I went into Java, I went into actually development. And the questions appeared, and everywhere that I turned to ask questions about Java, the entire community was extremely rude. Um, so I had people in Stack Overflow telling me that I was like, what is this horrible code? That, what is this that you think it's code? Um, like that kind of treatment that is not really, yeah, it's not really nice. And then when I got into Python, and I met people like Chuck. Um, Boyan was my mentor in the first Humble Data that I was in. Uh, and Jason as well with our work with uh, EuroPython 2. Um, so we decided that we wanted to do something. We wanted to make safe for everyone to come in. I have a little bit of a... I don't even know how to put this because I think that minorities, uh, yes, like we, they, we need to feel safe in environments to be actually be able to speak up. Um, but I also see a little bit of hypersensitivity from minorities in certain circumstances and certain, certain points. Um, that is a very debatable subject. Um, it's it's very easy for someone to come and say, "Ooh, you're being you're being oversensitive," um, when I'm not really on their on their position. But I have seen it um, in certain circumstances. Things that, like even if you talk about racism, I am uh, mixed race. Um, so talking about racism uh, towards black people is easier for me if you can say if you can say that or like it gives me a right of talking about it let's say publicly and i have seen in certain circumstances things that i would not think that would should be um attributed to racism and i've seen people screaming racism just because it was the easiest thing to do when they were frustrated and they were blaming on that um it's not right but it's very 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 hard to put a pin on it and the same story with the minorities and with the, the inclusion and we're trying to make a safe space. It's wonderful. And again, it's a, it's, we probably are going to get there. It's going to take a little bit more time. But there is also the work to be done on the other side on when 
the other side comes and kind of looks at you and say, listen, you, you're never going to be able to, be, to become a coder or you're never going to be able to learn Python. Um, it's also up to us to look at them in the eyes and say, no, you're not right. I don't believe you. That's not the case. And then simply just continue walking because mm -hmm. we need to do this. I, I, I agree. I, I, I think I think it's I think you did a really good job of capturing both sides their place because you know, being an ostensibly white male. Now I say ostensibly because I am one ape Mohawk Indian. And that is part of my heritage. People may hear well one eighth and think, Oh, that's nothing. No, that's significant. That that there is a I identify very closely with with my mohawk heritage that means a lot to me i'm also heavily scottish and irish and there are a lot of places in the world where that makes you a moving target you know scottish and irish have been targets of, of racism as well and um you know and then i'm also disabled so like ableism is, is an important topic to me but those are the areas where i feel like i have a voice where i can help guide the narrative my own rule for myself and i think i think the best rule of thumb in general is that we focus on improving the narrative that we have birthright toward, birthright in. Um, I can talk about you know the Native American um, narrative regarding you know how we handle things and how we respond to things because I am Native American. You know, my great 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 grandparents had to change their names because there was a bounty on the Native American scalp at the time. Like so that that's that's part of my family history. But I would never um, assume that I have the right to tell a person of color, um, well, you, you can't say that, uh, or you're oversensitive, because I'm, I, I have no idea what their experience is like. I have not lived that. They might be wrong. But like you mentioned, ladies, there is cases where there's oversensitivity, but I will let each community deal with that themselves. And I will myself work on, okay, if, if this group says this is hurtful, then I will go out of my way to not say that. I will go out of my way to make them feel safe. And if that means that I concede more ground to them than is really justifiable, hey, I have so much privilege because I am, um, you know, mostly white. I have so much privilege. I think I can concede quite a bit of ground and things will come out in the wash so i will let them deal with their own narrative because it because it will correct it always does you know there are there are voices in any given group who can turn around to their own you know to to their own group and say hey this is this is not what you think it is and we need to stop doing this i don't have a right to say that because i don't have their experience but i can speak to my own groups and my own narratives and help make those healthier and i think that's the perspective we all need to take if we have that perspective then there won't be that fear of well how do i bring up the fact that you know i think they're oversensitive i probably won't unless it's my own group and i think bringing that back to i mean so we've talked about different different groups so now we bring everybody together in a massive team as we're trying to build code and so you know so we're looking at these specific things that uh, each individual person, you know, individual person is um, facing as challenges. And um, it's really creating that environment within your cult, within your team culture of feeling safe to bring up any um, challenges that are being faced. I, I was actually working with a team a few months ago that they're, uh, even from my outsider view, I could see that there were some challenges being faced. And, uh, and the question was asked, you know, what um, I, I think it was asked similarly to, you know, what challenges are you facing? And there was very little said. And whenever I asked some follow up questions uh, individually, one on one, uh, many of the team members said that they didn't feel safe bringing up the challenges that they were facing while they were in the team. And so it was very difficult to address them and discuss them moving forward. So it, it very much opened the door to a larger issue of um, the challenges that were being faced within the team. Um, on very much a team dynamics level, people did not feel comfortable or feel safe bringing them up uh, within the team dynamic. And so it's very much creating a culture where people have a sense of trust. Um, and it, it really comes down to that, 
do we trust each other as human beings, <laughs> as individuals, um, to work together and to, um, yeah, to work together to build something great um, and to increase that understanding of one another as we are helping each individual person progress and grow um, as progress and grow as a professional and as a person. Imagine, no. Uh, and it does, yes. And as part of a team as well, because it's that there's that community side of it. Yeah, the, the communal as being part of something that is much bigger than, than you or than me or making the whole. And I think if there's that level of trust, then that that also helps compensate for the misunderstandings because i've had so many situations like the dev community is a really good example of that it's like yeah there there are some weird people on the fringes of dev there's some weird people on the fringes of any community but as a whole there's this attitude in dev of uh, uh the dev.to community of you know hey we, we want this to be a safe and inclusive environment and as a result, there's kind of that level of trust among the community members where one person might say something and someone else says, hey, I, I, I was insulted by that. And the first person can say, I'm sorry you I'm sorry you were insulted by that. I did not mean that. Here's what I meant. And the other person can go, oh, I misunderstood. Okay. By the way, this has this implication in my culture. Oh, okay. What if I put it this way? And so both people wind up giving a little bit of ground and they both walk away with a better understanding of how to better communicate because i think it's where a lot of this comes from is that we all have different vocabulary we all have different words and phrases that mean different things and when those mismatch um you know one person can unknowingly insult the other person and neither one of them will have any realization of the other's perspective until they can have that dialogue yes yeah that's very old push Hi, Bug Hunters Cafe. Marta speaking. Yes, we are still open 24-7. You can find us at bughunters.cafe and on Twitter, Dev and Instagram as bughunterscafe. Oh dear. It appears we lost power. We'll get right to fixing it. Though, so don't worry. No, it won't affect the portals. That's all the unicorn magic. Yes, see you then. I don't get it. I put on the somber music in the maintenance room, so that should have compensated for the enthusiasm surges. Was this the CD you put on? Yes, it's all I could find. 120 songs to cry to. You think I overdid it? Maybe a little. Perhaps if you switch the music out, I could try one of those French Europop albums Bon keeps behind the counter. We want to cheer up the generator, not insult it. Remember the last time? Fair point. <laughs> Perfect. So, um, yeah. So, Boyan, I have a question. Uh, I would love to hear from you. So, tell me, how do you provide a safe space for your team? How do you make sure that the people that work with you um, are in a safe space and they can speak up and ask questions and everything else that we were talking about? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I'm the CEO of the company and I lead my team. So everything I say uh, might be taken as a PR. So bear that in mind. Uh, basically, what I try to do is uh, get some one-on-one -on -one time with each of the team members and discuss uh, what is their uh, career path or what they want to do and speak with them about it and try to support them uh, in their development. And uh, I try to nurture basically the learning and constant self-improvement because I'm a person like that. I love reading about stuff. I love learning and that's something I want to share with people. And uh, regarding safety in the team, I basically treat everybody as humans. Uh, what a novel idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just hope that uh, translates uh, well uh, into our discussion, that I'm not looking down on somebody or speaking high and mighty, uh, because uh, for me, I had a bunch of uh, problems, uh, especially when I started, because I was uh, 
very good developer. And when I started my first company, that's two companies ago, yeah. uh, I was quickly put into leadership position. Now, you might be surprised, but uh, development skills does not translate very well into leadership uh, position. No way, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so there was a huge period uh, where I was constantly learning about communication, making shit ton of errors. Uh, for example, uh, one of the first uh, people I fired was my best friend because uh, uh, we were not communicate, communicating quite well and uh, separating uh, professional and private life was very difficult and things got messy in there. Also, uh, for example, during the second company, which has also failed, uh, I have a very good story that is uh, completely opposite of every point uh, that Amber has said. We had a client uh, that insisted on having uh, daily meetings. Now, these are not the daily meetings that last uh, five or ten minutes, but uh, daily meetings with the entire team of uh, 12 to 15 people, where uh, he would uh, have a monologue that would last for hour, hour and a half. And uh, it's not his fault. It's basically my fault because I allow uh, such organization to happen, even though there was a bunch of repetition and uh, stuff like that. And I allowed that treatment uh, to my entire team. And during those meetings, they were super improductive. And usually one person would talk, the rest of would either sleep, literally, or uh, look something on the phone. It was very unproductive, but uh, half of uh, hour and half of every day was spent in the meetings that nobody thought were useful except our client. And uh, later I managed to delegate that by having uh, discussions with client, just me. Basically I would listen to him for hour and a half. And learning how to have that sort of uh, difficult conversation with clients uh, has helped me with other clients to tell them, okay, you need to respect my time. I'm not going to listen to you having a monologue because we're working on this together. And if you want to speak, get a podcast like I did. <laughs> so... Um, for me, uh, most of my development as a team leader was uh, establishing my boundaries and learning how to respect other people's boundaries, uh, their time. Uh, because always when I try to schedule a meeting, I think to myself, okay, is this meeting going to benefit this person and can I make it uh, shorter? Because I don't want to talk to the void to say, and also the other person to talk to the void because it's very easy to have one-on-one -on -one meetings every week and then uh, I don't do my work. Because uh, when I uh, have that meeting, that also means that I assume uh, responsibility to follow up, to do the stuff that I promise. Because once you, you can fail once, twice, and then you lose entire trust uh, that was given to you. Now, uh, regarding this, I think I'm doing okay. I still have a lot of work to do to improve myself, but again, I'm on a top position and members of my team would be able to provide much better and more accurate answer because things are not always the way I see it. Another thing uh, I think that's super important is uh, making sure that everybody sees the same thing. For example, on that project uh, where there was 15 of us working, I was getting uh, coaching for uh, leadership in team management, which I started getting much, much later than I was supposed to, because, you know, getting mentored is something you get better. It took me a while to realize that. So one day I started talking with everybody and asked them to describe our product. And out of uh, 15 people, every person, every single person gave me a completely different response. They were not even related. It was completely uh, schizophrenic. Oh, no. And uh, when I think uh, back about it, those speeches that we were listening were also like that, completely bus-driven all over the place. And a bunch of people that uh, shouldn't have been on that meeting, who should have been with their families, uh, 
doing their private stuff were forced to sit in those meetings and everybody pick up uh, just one piece of the thread and went with that. So making sure that everybody is aligned on the, that we are making the same thing. That's something that took me a while to learn. And I think I'm still learning that. That's that's so, so, so interesting what you're saying about aligning people. Because that's apparently, that's one of the, the main things that um, Elon Musk tries to do in all his companies is making sure that everyone knows what the company mission is and how the job that they do every day aligns with the company mission. So SpaceX, we want to make... Um, rockets great what's the company mission and what's your take on that as an employee so what's your responsibility uh, what do you do every day to make sure that we from spacex get to mars if that's the case it's that that's fundamental it's really necessary make sure everyone's make sure everyone's on the same page you mentioned one-on-ones boyan there's another book actually this is a free there's actually a free ebook online uh, from O'Reilly called The Secrets Behind Great One-on-One Meetings uh, by Esther Schindler. And it is, it's really short, but it is an excellent book. Um, I do a lot of one-on-ones with my interns. Uh, it's, it's just part of our, um, our thing is that during their first month, we meet every single week. And then after that, it drops to usually every other week. Um, but it kind of depends on the intern. You know, some only need me every, you know, maybe once a month. Some need me every week still. It, it depends on the individual. Um, so I let them kind of guide how often we meet. And I just try to ensure that we are still meeting regularly nonetheless. But, um, you know, good one-on-ones really are so important. Especially, well, the key to a good one-on-one, summarizing the book, is give them room to speak. That seems to be the repeating theme here. Give them room to talk. And let them say what they're experiencing, what problems are they seeing, what are their victories. Let them guide the conversation with you, the supervisor, and you will find a lot of things out that you might otherwise miss. Um, Those mismatches, like you mentioned, Boyan, everyone having a different take on what the product was. Um, or, um, you know, it could be a con- an interpersonal conflict. I'm having a really hard time working with Jeff because Je- I feel like Jeff doesn't listen to me. And then being able to, well, talk to this person, you've talked to Jeff, and so maybe you can see where some of that miscommunication is happening and you may be able to help guide them in, in resolving that. Um, uh, or realizing there's a flaw in the um, company process. It's like, you know, we're, we're filling out this, this, this TPS report every week, but I feel like it's just meaningless paperwork. You know, and, and a lot of this you only find out through the one-on-ones. Uh, I have a question, if I may. Yeah. Uh, basically, one of the problems I encounter is uh, when we bring a new person into the team, is uh, conveying to them that they can ask me questions and stuff like that, because... Uh, I don't want to force people into one-on-one meetings, but usually when you get a new person, you have to tell them, okay, this week we are having a one-on-one meeting. But uh, people usually get intimidated uh, because I need to talk with a boss, especially junior people. For them, uh, it's very hard to explain them, uh, at least for me, uh, is that when I ask you a question, this is not an exam. This is not, uh, I'm not going to give you a grade. If you don't know it, just say it uh, and let's Google it together. Like, you can Google an answer. Explain that to the people and uh, explain that it's totally okay to say, I have no idea. Uh, that's something that takes me quite a while uh, to convey. So I was wondering if you have any advice on how to achieve that. So the, the first thing that, that we do is actually humanize the, the person so you're not um so i, I recall a, a company that i actually was working for and the ceo he whenever we first started um would come in and say hey i've been in your shoes <laughs> these are mistakes that i have made and that that ability to be vulnerable 
made it made the dynamic not a uh oh my gosh you you are this person that it signs my paycheck and that's all i know <laughs> you know but very much of being vulnerable and sharing those experiences and saying hey i've been in your shoes before and i'm asking these questions because i want to see you succeed um and if i can share light on some of those questions or if i can help you or if we can provide more resources um then setting that dynamic up that way um rather than uh yeah hey hey i know you just started here a week ago um my name is amber come in and let's have a chat for the first time um <laughs> instead instead I'm, I'm having a conversation and saying um and setting that preface of um you know i've I've been in your shoes. I'm still learning and we want to help you succeed. So how can we, um, this is something as I've worked in human resources, there's this, this whole idea of, um, some people don't like the term human resources because they don't like the idea of using humans as resources, but the idea is that you actually turn the two words around and it's not using humans as resources. It's providing resources to humans. And with that different idea, it's saying, okay, no, it's it's my job to give you the tools and the resources and the insight to, to, to help you succeed as best that I can. And so um, within... My company calls it ECHO, Employee yeah, Care and Opportunity. I love it. Yeah. So it's that, that idea. For me, as a, as a newbie, like what really, really helped initially was... Um, because I felt really intimidated when there were people that knew so much of everything that I really wanted to learn. And they were asking questions sometimes. I was like, I have absolutely no clue. Um, but I would feel intimidated of saying it. I have absolutely no clue. What would help with that would uh, sometimes when I ask questions, even I, I am fully aware that my XPM actually did this a few times, uh, that I would ask questions and she would know the questions, but she would be like, shall we Google this together? We might, you should maybe Google this together. So she would stop what she would be doing and would Google the stuff together. And she was like, okay, so now I know how you found this information as well. And I didn't feel any more risk if you can say it like that it's not even a risk like i didn't feel any more shame of just looking and saying i have absolutely no idea uh but let's find out i'm willing to find out with you right now let's find out i i like that i i want to do that more i know i do share a lot about my mistakes with my interns like i made some doozies and 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 i keep them alive i keep those memories alive because the thing was with interns what when you are an internship focused company is that you have a high turnover rate and that's a good thing in our case because it means we're launching people's careers. They start here, they do an internship, they get acclimated, they go on to a full-time job somewhere. That to me is a success story. But that also means that I have an I have an extraordinarily high turnover rate that I rarely keep anyone beyond about a year, eighteen months of that at the most usually. Um, so that means that it, it would be very easy for me to hide my mistakes because you know all the people that remember all the screw ups in the last cycle are not there. So I make sure that I share these openly and I document them in some cases. I mean, I'll, I'll put, I will actually put comments in my own code where I go, oh, I thought it was this. It's actually this, um, you know, little reminders to myself when I solve a bug, it's like, uh, make sure this is actually this or you're going to get a sick call. I'm very open with that. One of my favorite stories to tell interns is the time that I assigned a task to one intern. I said, well, we need to do this thing. I said, I think it would take a week. And uh, it took two years. I had missed a major piece of the puzzle. Like there was a major area of what I call flux, the unknown in a problem. Like I could see all the deterministic bits and all the deterministic bits together would take a week. But that one bit of flux wound up taking three interns, two years, you know, three consecutive interns, two years to solve. We solved it, but, you know, we found out very quickly why no one had ever done this particular thing before. Um, <laughs> so it worked, but, um, you know, my, uh, my assistant lead developer at the time made sure I did not, I did not get to live that one down. And I appreciate that because he would tell all the incoming interns this story and I would laugh right along with them. And um, since he passed away, I've continued telling them that story. 
He's like, let, let me let me tell you about my biggest blunder with project management, and that and then that, that that does lead to them feeling safer about, oh, I made this huge mistake, and they'll come, they'll they'll bring it up in meetings. He's like, oh, I made a gigantic mistake. Let me tell you all about it, and they're okay because they feel like mistakes are grounds for laughter and learning, and no one's going to look down on them for it. And yeah, I think that's a really important part of just making a, a, a psychologically safe environment. I really like what Amber said. Uh, it's uh, giving people ownership and not uh, using the word that we usually associate. Uh, who's responsible for this? Because there's always a sense of uh, blame. I'm trying to find the person responsible for this uh, to blame it. When you give people ownership, you don't have that negative connotation. You're not trying to track down the guilty party. You're in this together. Absolutely, guilt-free post-mortem is what I what term I heard at one one company use that they use guilt-free post-mortems. Yeah, and it's and it's also having that ownership to point out. I, I love that story of yeah, I thought it was going to take a week, it took two years. We we had, but it's it's having somebody on your team or the intern to bring that up and say, okay, these are actually the challenges. Um, we had a situation a few months ago where we we had a meeting and and. At the end of the meeting, I, as the person setting the expectation uh, for this project, thought, I don't think I clear, like, I don't think I clearly communicated what success was going to look like at the end of this week. And I had some disconnect. And sure enough, like two hours after the meeting, <laughs> the person who was helping me, she, uh, she messaged me, she goes, okay, I really don't have a lot of clarity on what success looks like at the end of this. And I said, good, because I don't think I, like, I don't think I really thought through that either. So let's actually go back and define what does success look like this? Because we were having, uh, like, I, and so it was like a very clear lesson of, if you are hesitating, then they are probably hesitating as well. Um, as far as that clear, uh, you know, clear idea of what success was going to look like at the end of this project that we were doing. And, uh, and, you know, we'll do that. Um, you know, we talked earlier about having that disconnect of what different expectations are going to be or de different definitions of success. Um, what I have found two different things, um, to be good activities for just self-awareness for myself as a, more louder outspoken person uh, that has other people on the team that um, are not as loud spoken is I'll actually take a moment and say, okay, let's take a couple minutes and write down, uh, whether it be on post-it notes, on a piece of paper, we'll write down the expectations or the ideas that we'll have um, before we speak them out. And so we'll put them on post-it notes or put them in a piece of paper. And then one voice is not like decibel higher than another it's really the ideas on pieces of paper that um, are given more warrant and it allows because uh, what we were finding is we had louder people in the team um as in like a louder voice um and that um you had the softer spoken people that were not speaking up as much and so whenever we took a few moments and said everybody is going to have a few moments to um have a few moments of silence to get out their ideas uh, we found that there was a complete dynamic shift in the way that we were uh, seeing the quality of different ideas and seeing the quantity of different ideas so it's not a hey i think this is what we should do moving forward yeah that sounds good well if you give everyone an opportunity for a sense of silence we were able to see okay, this many people, um, you know, we, we all think that this is a good direction that we should be going, or uh, maybe this isn't a direction that we should be going. And we were able to find those senses of continuity within our values, within our expectations, within our definitions of success, um, the continuity and that disconnect. And so it opened up a really good conversation. Um, so th that, was, that was a huge thing that we did. And then the other thing that uh, I found going into those meetings is that there were some people in the way that um, that we process information. Uh, the way that I go into those meetings is somebody says, let's come up with ideas now. And I'll come up with those ideas right on the spot. 
but there were other people on the team that really wanted to mull on the on the challenge and so their best ideas would come a couple days later uh, or maybe a few hours later so they wanted more time to really think on the topic and so before the meeting i would try and give a um, some sort of an agenda some sort of a this is what we can be thinking on for the you know, as much time as I could give. All right. So sometimes it was a few days before, sometimes it, it wasn't as much, but I would try and give as much heads up as I could. So that people that wanted to be prepared going into those, especially those ideation sessions um, and those problem solving sessions, uh, they had an opportunity to uh, really think on the problem as well, or think on the challenge that we were facing. And so those were two really big ways that uh, just recognizing the difference in team dynamics of people that were very um, uh, like uh, serendipitous uh, thinkers of, okay, we're going to do this, 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 and this, which is the way that I think, um, which is a lot of ideas, but maybe not have as much depth. And then we had some people that had not as many ideas, but deeper uh, ideas. And so having an opportunity to find a balance with that, and then also finding that balance between the differences of voices that were coming into the team, uh, those two simple uh, actions really changed the dynamic within our team uh, so that we could create an environment where everybody's voice had more opportunity to be uh, given a platform and to be heard. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I really do. Yeah, that was really good. There was one tiny thing I wanted to say uh, about what Ember just said. Um, that uh, I think it was John Cleese, the, the guy that wrote uh, Monty Python. I mean, one of the guys that wrote Monty Python. Um, yeah, so he used, I, I watched an interview with him and he was talking exactly about that, about when you're talking about the ideas, that some people take a few more days to like think about it. And those people are usually the ones that have the biggest part of um, creativity. Um, because they take their time and they go over and they, they, they chew it and they chew it again. Um, and that's what John Cleese used to say, that that's one of his secrets of creativity, of being creative, is keep ruminating into, in, in, on that idea until it's like the last time, like the, to the last, last, last time that you can actually submit it. So by doing this, you're actually um, encouraging your team to be more creative. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Because how... What better other thing than creativity? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, it's, I, I like how my best friend put it because, you know, people sometimes are like, why do you take so long to laugh at a joke? I'll tell a joke and he'll take three or four seconds before he'll laugh. And sometimes people are like, well, you're slow. And I love how he put it. He says, no, I'm not a microwave. I'm a slow cooker. <laughs> but the reason he does that is not because he doesn't get the joke but because he takes the time to really ruminate on all the elements of the joke in order and as a result he's the one who laughs the hardest because he can really understand why it's funny he takes the time and he is an extremely creative individual um so yeah i i think that lends to what what you were saying ladies yes that the match is perfect and hey this was uh this was a blast. I feel like we could sit here and talk for probably six hours solid if if we if we didn't have lives. Oh, those best lives. <laughs> yeah, that's been a lot of fun, though. Yes, I've enjoyed my coffee, <laughs> coffee and conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. It was uh, coming over. You were a yeah. wonderful guest, and every time we see a rainbow, just remember our cup. And visit us. <laughs> Absolutely. Every unicorn that I see from now on, it's going to remind me of the Bug Headdress Cafe. Absolutely. Do you see a lot of them? Yes, actually. Yeah, so Boya and I, we Ireland. have this farm. Ireland is a special place. Yes. Boya and I, we take care <laughs> of this farm as well. That is, It's a unicorn farm. And sometimes we need to go there and like have a, have a chat with them. Because they're, they're, they're great for creativity. That's where we get our creativity from. Absolutely. Unicorn farm. Invite me out there sometime. I, I, I would love to I'll arrive in my... Uh, I think we need closet. to take a trip to Ireland now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, our next gathering. That'll be our next <laughs> gathering location. <laughs> Loads of leprechauns as well. Sounds good to me. I'm game. Yes. <laughs>
Rainbows, leprechauns, and unicorns. Oh, man. <laughs> Some pots of gold as well, I've heard. I haven't found them. I haven't seen them. But I've heard that the, the pots of gold are actually around as well. Bug Hunters Cafe. This is Marta. Yes, we are located online at bughunters.cafe and on Twitter, Dev, and Instagram as bughunterscafe. We are still working on restoring the power, but the portals should still be open. Oh, our music is provided by audionautics.com. We have the link on our website. Great! See you soon. Huh. I wonder why I didn't think of that. That usual jazz track is pretty cheery. I think I have it on my MP3 player. Jazz saves the day again. <laughs> <laughs>